hey, good morning, everybody. I told you how much this thing weighs, right? It's like 217 pounds. Do you see how I did that with one arm? I'm left-handed. I'm strong with my left hand. Hey, it's good to see you. I'm just crazy. Um, so if you were here last week, you had the privilege and the honor of listening to Pastor Dave. Yeah. I mean, he, he tore it up, man. I mean, that, that, I don't know if I've seen or heard somebody tackle uh, Scripture as well as he did uh, last week in Nehemiah chapter 4. It was amazing. If you weren't here, um, catch it online. You know, the audio or the video when it gets posted, the audio is already up. I don't know if the video is, but um, please watch it again. And he talked about silencing the voice of discouragement. I don't know about you, but every once in a while I get discouraged, and I assume we all do in this room. We have moments of discouragement. It's such such, such a great word for us. So if you heard it, great. Listen to it again if you can. It was amazing. So I just love him so much. We're so fortunate um, that Pastor Dave is in our lives. So fortunate. We're so blessed. Um, on Friday night, we had one of my favorite things every month is Rock of Ages. Uh, the first Friday of every month, it's just so fun for all of those of you who contributed to, to make that happen every month. Thank you so very, very much. And then to Michael Camarina, who um, brought the word on Friday night. Um, if you've not sen- sat under Michael's teaching, he's so faithful in his study. Michael's so so faithful and so diligent in how he studies. And when he speaks, you can just tell. He, he honors God's word and how he prepares and how he speaks and in how he lives. And so, Michael, thank you so much for, for doing a great job. Which apparently means you're stuck with me this morning. Right? Like, Dave, Michael, Mark. I couldn't find anybody today. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. Um, the third thing is I want to fill you in on what's going on in the, in the church plant in Heath, Texas, okay? So the Thursday before uh, Christmas, they were able to squeeze one interview in. There's four men or couples that we're looking at, and they're all from Texas, right? So the Thursday before Christmas, the, the team, there's a team of seven out there in Heath that are doing all the interviewing. And they interviewed Roger and Crystal Jackson on Thursday before Christmas. And they're from Abilene, Texas, which is about three hours west of Heath. This weekend, they've been busy. Friday night, they interviewed Jacob and Angie Phelps, four hours south from Houston. They came up to Heath. Yesterday, they interviewed Chris and Renee DuBose. They're only 20 minutes away in Garland, Texas. And then tonight, they're interviewing... Uh, Jordan and Holly Mims from Rockport, all the way down on the coast where the hurricane hit, um, kind of close to Corpus Christi, uh, six hours south. Uh, they're interviewing them today. They've got their hands full. And many of you have been praying. Thank you so much. These, uh, it's just a lot of work. And the interviews are three and a half to four hours long. They just take a while. Um, so thank you, uh, for those of you who have been praying, please keep praying because after tonight, we've got to make some decisions. And the text that I'm getting after each interview is, this is not going to be easy. I mean, you're talking amazingly godly, talented, gifted people. And how do you choose? How, how do you choose, right? It's like going to 31 Flavors. I don't know. How do you choose? Well, for me at least. So I just get a quadruple scoop. That's just how I solve that problem. Anyway, um, so I just wanted to fill you in on that. Please, please, please keep praying because yeah, t- tonight's the last one and then we've got to start making some decisions and we're just really seeking the Lord's wisdom in all this. It's very, very important. So thank you so much for, 
for your prayers. Please keep doing so. Um, yeah, so I, I mentioned earlier that um, Pastor Dave did such a great job. I, um, I listened to it twice. So just so you know, I, I came Saturday night and, and, and listened to the Saturday night service. I came Sunday at the 9 a.m. service. And then at 11 o'clock, I said hi to you, a lot of you guys, and then I left. I left at 11.15 because I had to go um, uh, pray and support the, the Ducks of Anaheim at a 1 o'clock. I'm just, because some of you saw me leave the building with my backpack and everything, and I'm, I'm trying to go like this, and, you know, I'm like, you know, whatever. So I caught it twice, um, and then I went there and I prayed for the Ducks, and, you know, because it was still Sunday, and, you know, and, and, um, and they won, so my prayers were effective. Um, Man, God is so good. They won five to two. And you get free Chick-fil-A. Whenever they score five goals, you get free Chick-fil-A the next day. Which is pretty cool. The problem is we didn't know you had to do it the next day. Bummer, huh? Oh, well. But it's my pleasure to serve you. Hey, you know what? I mean, this is totally silly, right? I'm, I'm getting a little giddy now. I try to say things to people at Chick-fil-A so that they won't say it's my pleasure. It's almost impossible. Like I'm trying to find things to say so that they won't say it's my pleasure. No matter how they answer, they find a way to say it's my pleasure. really makes me mad. Like I'm smarter than that. Like I got to be able to outsmart these, you know, kids and they just always outsmart me, which I'm sure doesn't shock you, but I'm, I'm still completely thrown by this. We're at church, right? That's where we're at. Okay. So I want to I open up with this quote. I, I tripped across it this week, and I can't remember where I got it, so I don't know who it is, but I think it's wonderful. Almost every sinful action ever committed can be traced back to a selfish motive. It is a trait that we hate in other people, but we justify in ourselves somehow. A lot of truth to that, isn't there? Lord, help us. Let me give you a quick recap. We're in Nehemiah chapter 5 today. In chapter 1, if you recall, while in... Uh, while in Persia, it's brought to Nehemiah's attention that things back home uh, aren't, aren't that good. It says in Nehemiah 1 that the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. That doesn't sound so good. In chapter 2, Nehemiah, who's the king's what? Cup bearer. So he's important to the king. In chapter 2, Nehemiah gets permission from King Artaxerxes to go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. In chapter 3, if you recall, we saw all kinds of people in Nehemiah chapter 3 from all kinds of professions doing all kinds of projects to repair the broken down city. It's just a picture of the church. Let me say that again. Chapter 3 is a picture of the church. All kinds of people from all kinds of professions doing all kinds of projects. That's the church, and that's what we saw in Nehemiah 3. And so, so far, so good, right? Things aren't good. Nehemiah gets permission. A bunch of people get to work. Everything's great. But there's more than three chapters in Nehemiah. So then we get to chapter 4. And all really, all Nehemiah wants up to this point is he wants to remove the reproach that is upon God's name because the people had sinned and God's name was under reproach because they had lived sinful lives. And so all Nehemiah wants to do is rebuild not only the city, but the name of his God that has been under reproach. And so that's a good thing, right? And then we hit chapter 4. And Pastor Dave introduced us to <laughs> the Bummer Brothers. Remember that from last week? I thought that was brilliant. These two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, who were furious and angry and mocked the Jews. 
And they did everything that they could to discourage a work that was permitted by the king for them to do. They had all the power and the authority of their king to do this work, and yet the enemy tried to discourage the work in chapter 4. And so while it is certainly no day at the park to experience challenges from those on the outside, those outside of Judah, those that were not Jewish, now, Nehemiah is encountering perhaps the most difficult and intense kind of problem that almost every spiritual leader has to face, and that's problems from the inside. It's kind of a joke, but it's like, man, our church is awesome, except for the people. Right? It's one of those things, right? If the enemy can't beat us up on the outside, then he starts working on the inside. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 5 together, and then we're going to pray. Nehemiah chapter 5, 19 verses. Let's start at verse 1. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. People's lives were in danger because of food. And there were others who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we might get grain because there's a famine. Also, there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. And now our flesh is just like the flesh of our brothers and our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And we are helpless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. And so the next stanza, there's three stanzas. The next stanza is Nehemiah's, he's angry. He says, I was angry when I heard their outcry in these words. And so I consulted with myself, Nehemiah says, and contended with the nobles and the rulers. And I said to them, you are exacting usury or exorbitant interest, each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly, not with them, but against them. And I said to them, we, according to our ability, we've redeemed our brothers who were sold to the nations. And now you're going to sell your brothers that they may be sold back to us? And then they were silent and could not find a word to say. And again I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations? We're making God's name bad. Verse 10, and likewise I, my brothers and my servants, are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses. Also, the 100th part of the money and of the grain. 100th is 1%. And so 1% a month is 12% a year. 100th part of the money and of the grain. And the new wine and the oil that you are exacting from them. And they said, Nehemiah, we will give it back. And we will require nothing from them. We, Nehemiah, we will do exactly as you say. And look what he does. He says, cool. So he called the priest and took an oath from them from all those people, that they would do according to this promise. And then he shook out the front of his garment and said, Thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill the promise, the oath that he just took. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and they praised the Lord. And then the people did according to this promise. 
our third stanza. Moreover, and so not only does Nehemiah say, hey, here's how I want you to live. I'm going to tell you this is how I'm living. He says, moreover, from, that, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor, from the 20th year to the 32nd year, for 12 years, neither myself nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. But the former governors who were before me, they laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants, the governor's servants, domineered the people. But I did not do so because he had a fear of God, a reverence of God. I also applied myself to the work on this wall, so he just got to work. Nehemiah didn't take advantage of his people, he helped his people. He applied himself to the work on the wall. We did not buy any land. And even my servants were gathered there for the work of the wall, on the wall. Verse 17, Moreover, there were at my table 150 Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now that which was prepared for each day was one ox and six choice sheep. Birds were prepared for me, and once in ten days all sorts of wine were furnished in abundance. Yet... In all of this, or for all of this, I did not demand the governor's allowance because that servitude was heavy on his people. Remember me. Look at the way he ends this. It just warms my heart. He says, remember me, O my God, for good. In other words, remember the good that I'm doing according to all the good that I have done for this people. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this chapter of Nehemiah chapter 5. We thank you, Lord, that you, you called these people to a great work, and yet right away there's opposition from the outside. And the enemy did not have victory there, and so the enemy starts attacking from the inside. We thank you that Nehemiah stood up for what was right, and he was angry. He was righteously angry at how the brothers and sisters were treating one another. And so, Father, we pray that you would teach us from your word this morning that we can become more like you. It's in your mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. So in, in honor of the, you know, there's a famine going on in chapter 5. I only got a small bottle of water instead of a normal-sized bottle of water. Sticking with the theme. Here's our outline for, for our three stanzas for Nehemiah chapter 5. There's this outcry that we see in verses 1 through 5. People aren't, aren't eating. They're mortgaging, mortgaging their lands and their vineyards and their homes. And Nehemiah's angry because some of their own people are taking advantage of the situation. And so he's, he's upset as he should be. He's righteously angry at how the people of God are treating one another. And then he goes on to say, not only should you not be doing it, but I'm not doing it. And here's the example of my own life that he displays for us to see. So let's go through that first stanza, the outcry. Let's reread verses 1 through 5. The outcry. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, Our sons and our daughters are many. Let us get grain. We need to eat and live. Others said, We're, we're mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses so that we might get some grain because there's a famine. And then there were those who said, We borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers and our children like their children, yet behold, we're forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. That's a great outcry. There's a problem in Judah. Here's the reality. Why the outcry? It's obvious. There's a famine. 
in Judah. There's economic hardship in Judah. There's usury taking place in Judah. And the usury, which is charging exorbitant interest rates, is happening from their own people. Their own people are doing this to themselves. Verse 1 tells us that there was a great outcry of the people. If you notice, it says, and of their wives. This is a culture where wives didn't speak in these kind of situations. But they're speaking now. People were mortgaging their fields, vineyards, and homes to get grain and to pay the king's tax. And some even sold their children into slavery. No wonder the wives cried out. There's a saying, you may have heard of it. It's true in my home, probably true in your home. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Right? Thankfully, my wife, mama, she's pretty happy. But we do what we can at home to keep mama happy. Mama's not happy in Nehemiah 5. Kids are being sold into slavery to pay for food. Mm. The Jewish people were in a state of hopelessness. That's what's happening. Those first five verses, it's hopelessness. And all of this hopelessness is during this this wonderful God-orchestrated restoration of Jerusalem. This hopelessness is taking place in this God-orchestrated, wonderful time of restoring Jerusalem. Hmm. So what's the lesson here? Right? We have chapters 1, 2, and 3. All these great things are happening. Then we get attacks from the outside and now attacks from the inside. The lesson here is this. When the Lord's people respond to the Lord's projects, we can expect problems from the outside and from the inside. Let me say that again. When the Lord's people respond to the Lord's projects, we can expect problems externally and internally. Right? See, the enemy failed with the external attacks in Nehemiah chapter 4. The enemy failed. So his next move is to attack from within. He's always got a next move, church. So he tries to attack from within. And one of his favorite weapons is selfishness. And that's what we see in Nehemiah chapter 5. If he can get us thinking only about ourselves and what we want. If the enemy can get us to think about ourselves and what we want and what we think we deserve, the victory's already been won for him. It's already been won. So I ask you, are we, are you, we as a church, are we ready for the attacks that come on the outside, the external attacks? Are we ready for those? But the other question is, are we ready for the internal attacks? Because if he can't get us from the outside, he's going to try to get us from the inside. To me, maybe to you, at least the outward attacks on some level make sense. But I think the inward ones are more difficult because it's not supposed to be that way. It makes sense, the attacks from the outside, but the attacks on the inside never make sense. They're very complicated because it's not the way the Lord designed His people to operate with one another. And I think it's incredibly unfortunate, church, the success that the enemy has had inside the church. It breaks my heart. The success that the enemy has had time and time and time again inside the church. And that's what Nehemiah is addressing in chapter 5. You may not know this, but the world is not kind right now to Christianity. Did you know that? 
The world is not kind to Christianity. This we know. How kind are we to each other? How kind are we to one another in the church? It's why we constantly need to be growing as disciples, becoming more like Christ so that we are selfless and not selfish. We can measure things like our cholesterol, like our blood pressure, our body fat. Anybody want to do that right now? I totally got time. (laughs) Have you ever had your body fat measured? Right? You can do things like that, right? How do you measure selfishness? Wouldn't it be cool if there was a scale you can get for $9.99 or at Sears or JCPenney or some other company that's probably not going to make it, right? That's Rob Johnson's favorite joke. And stand on a scale and like put your toes over the thing that reveals your selfishness, right? Be like, oh, I gained a few pounds of selfishness this week. Like, that'd be kind of cool. Maybe not. I think the only way we can identify and measure our selfishness is by being in the Word of God. Because it reveals the most selfless person that's ever lived, the person of Jesus Christ in, in whom we are to compare our lives to. So here's the reality of chapter 5. Famines happen. Famines happen in people's lives, don't they? Economic hardships happen in people's lives. Some of you may be going through them right now. There are simply some hard times that people fall on with no fault of their own, like a famine. And so, how sensitive are we to those in famine around us? How sensitive are we? When you look back on 2017 that we just brought a close to last year, Who did you come alongside in 2017 that was going through a famine? Who will you come alongside in 2018? There there are famines all around us. People are hurting all around us. People are lacking for something all around us. I hope you did it in 2017, and I encourage you, pray that God would allow you to run across somebody who's experiencing a famine, and you can breathe into their life and come alongside them and provide for them and be a good brother and sister in the Lord. Amen? Let's look at our second stanza. We looked at the outcry. Now we're going to look at the anger of Nehemiah. Let's read 6 through 13. It's not hard to figure out what Nehemiah is trying to say here. Then I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. And so I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you are exacting usury each from his brother. Therefore I I held a great assembly against them. Not for them or not with them, against them. Wow. And I said to them, we, according to our ability, we're redeeming our brothers and you're selling our brothers. And they were silent and could not find a word to say. And again I said, the thing which you are doing, it's not good, people. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? And likewise, uh, my brothers and my servants, they're lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. Give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, the hundredth part, the new wine and the oil that you are exacting from them. And then they said, we will give it back and we will require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say, Nehemiah. And he says, good. So he calls the priests in and he took an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. 
And then he gives him an object lesson. He shook out the front of his garment, which is an act of condemnation. He says, thus may God shake out every man from his house and his possessions who does not fulfill his word. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. And they did according to this promise. (laughs) Wow, man. Nehemiah is fierce. Hey, look. Nehemiah is ticked, man. He's ticked. And he should be. He's righteously angry because God's people were not treating each other well. Happens. Look at verse 6. We just read it. It says, I was very angry. And then he ends that stanza in verse 13 where he does this object lesson of shaking out his garment saying, may God's condemnation fall upon you if you don't live your lives according to the Word of God. (laughs) It's gnarly stuff. Nehemiah is fierce. Nehemiah is making a huge deal about how brothers and sisters in the Lord treat one another. Nehemiah is making a big deal about how you and I treat one another. Church, sometimes we, we get it wrong, don't we? Sometimes we fail in how we, how we treat one another, don't we? And so we need to repent and confess our sins and ask for forgiveness. And we need to extend forgiveness to one another because it's a big deal to our Lord how brothers and sisters treat one another. Paul said the same thing in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul said, hey, look, we're going to run out of opportunities one day. We know that, right? We're going to die. So Paul says, while, while we have an oppor- so then, while we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially, especially, especially. We're to do good to all people, but especially to one another. So not only is it a huge thing for Nehemiah that brothers and sisters treat one another well, the other thing that's huge to him in chapter 5 is the reputation of God's name. Look at verse 9. Again I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies, when we don't do it well, it makes God look bad. It destroys His name. Listen, church, our life together leaves a reputation to a watching world. Our life together leaves a reputation of our God to a world that is watching. John 13, 35, Jesus said as much. We know this verse. By this, all men, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's the opposite of that? There's no way they know you're my disciples if you don't. Here's another thing in this stanza. We must not confuse legal with right. We must not confuse what is legal with what is right. Let me explain. It was certainly legal to loan money. They were doing it in Judah with interest. It was legal to lend money with interest in Judah. But it wasn't right. Well, what does that mean? Let me explain. There's numerous scriptures. I'm only going to give you one. They virtually say the same thing. It's in Exodus, uh, Deuteronomy, Leviticus. Here's Exodus 22:25. If you lend money 
Moses saw that that was going to happen. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor. You shall not charge him interest. Legal, but not right. You get it? Legal, but not right. Nehemiah rebuked those who were violating God's command. That's what we're held accountable to. Do we make life decisions based on what is legal or what is right? How are we making our life decisions every day? What's legal or what's right? It's important that we know that, the answer to that question, and here's why. Because that's continuing to shift in our society by the day. Right? And we must proceed with extreme, extreme, extreme caution between what is legal and what is right. And so all Nehemiah is saying to his people is he's he's given us a glimpse of what it means to be Christ-like, to put others ahead of ourselves. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. You got first and second Corinthians in the New Testament, and then you have Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Turn to Philippians 2. You can read all seven verses. We're just going to read 3, 4, and 5. Check this out. All we're getting in Nehemiah 5 is a glimpse of what it means to be Christ-like. Nehemiah, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, 3, 4, and 5. Doesn't say try to do nothing, you know, at times do nothing. It says do nothing. Do no thing. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Zip. Do nothing from selfishness. Wow, how are we doing on that so far today? Just today. Forget about the week before and the month before and the year before. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, right? Which is why we have to be in God's Word so that we have humility of mind, so that we can have humility of action. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Hey, look, you're important. It doesn't say you're not important. It says you're important. But we're to consider others more important than ourselves. Wow. You know who did that? Jesus did that. He considered us more important than himself. Verse 4. Do not, this is such a strong word, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. What he's saying is, hey, anybody can do that. Like, that's not even, that's not even, that's that's not hard. Don't merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of, of others have this attitude in yourselves which was also in christ Mm. verses going back to nehemiah 5 verses 12 and 13 are interesting they said in verse 12 that they're going to give back they made a promise to give back and make things right and to do exactly as they were instructed we will do exactly as you say is what verse 12 tells us. We will give it back and we require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say, Nehemiah. And yet Nehemiah brings in priests. They said, we got it. We're guilty. Nehemiah, we're in. We're going to do exactly what you said. And he says, cool. Priests, come in. We're going to make you take an oath. It reminds me, I don't know if you guys remember, there's a saying that goes back to Ronald Reagan. It's trust, but verify. Trust but verify. It's a Russian proverb, and he was doing that about nuclear arms. Like, I trust you, but I just want to verify. 
Can you imagine if we did that to one another? Jill, I totally trust you, but you know, I'm just going to have you take an oath in front of a couple priests. That's not a problem, is it? Nehemiah is fierce about how we treat one another. I hear you. You're going to do exactly as you say. No problem. Then you'll have no problem taking an oath to do the things that you declared you would do. Wow. He ain't messing around. Would you be offended by this? If you were in this story, and I say, and Nehemiah said, you know, you say to Nehemiah, I'll do exactly as you say, and he says, no problem. I'm going to bring in some priests and, and, and have you take an oath. Would that offend you? It shouldn't. We should do the things we say we're going to do, especially when they're attached to the Word of God and how we're supposed to act out God's Word and God's will in our lives. I wonder what oaths and accountability we would be willing to subject ourselves to according to the Word of God. And then in verse 13, he visualizes for them the grave consequences that would come if they continue to mistreat their brothers and sisters. And he shakes off his robe and says, may God do the same to you and take everything from you if you don't fulfill your word. It's like, all right, dude, chill. Verse 6, you're angry. Verse 13, you still seem to be pretty ticked. It's kind of cool though, man. He's making serious, a serious matter out of a serious matter. How would encouragements like Nehemiah's fly in the church today? How would these encouragements, if that's what you want to call them, from Nehemiah, how would that fly in the church today? If you said to me, Pastor Mark, I'm going to do this, or you told one another, I'm going to do this for the Lord next year. And then we said, well, I'm, I'm going to shake out my robe if you don't. May God condemn you if you don't fulfill your word. Be like, whoa, man, take it easy. Would that fly in the church today? But that's how we're supposed to live our lives. We should say, bring it on. Bring in as many priests as you want. I'll take as many oaths as you need me to take. I'm serious about my faith. I'm serious about God's Word. I'm serious about His work. Bring the priests in. That doesn't scare me. This is why it's important to Nehemiah. Look at John 17, 22 and 23. Jesus says, The glory which you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one. Nehemiah realizes that the church needs to be one. Just as we are one, I'm in them, you're in me, that they may be perfected in unity. Why? So that the world may know. And when we're not perfected in unity, then that means the world doesn't know that you sent me. See, that's the other part. So that the world may know that you sent me. If you're not in unity, then the world doesn't know that you sent me. And we we devalue the powerful name of Jesus Christ when we don't live in unity. Look at verse 11 of Nehemiah chapter 5. It says, Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, and so on. And so I ask this question. I wonder this very day if we need to make something right with somebody in our own lives. He says give back to them this very day. Because here's the deal. Hey, let's kind of do like this tapering down thing, you guys. You're charging 12% a year. Let's Maybe we'll drop a percent every month, and then after a year, we'll go from 12% down to zero. We'll just kind of take our time and work your way out of your sin. Just be a little bit better next month than you were you know, this month, and the month after that, be a little bit better than you were, whatever I'm trying to say. You get it, right? No. He says, give back to them this very day. And I wonder this very day if we need to make something right with somebody? Is God challenging you this very day to get something right? Because here's the problem. 
like those in our story of Nehemiah chapter 5 that are charging interest, if they deal with it this very day, they lose something, don't they? Do you know sometimes we don't deal with stuff this very day because it's going to cost us something? It's like, well, I can't do it this very day because I'll lose this and I'll lose that. And Nehemiah says, do it this very day. Some of us keep putting stuff off. We have this tapering plan that we've never seen the end of. God says, do it this very day. One last observation from verse 7. And he says, I contended with, I consulted with myself. And I just, that just caught me. I'm like, that is awesome. What does that look like exactly? Right? How do you consult with yourself? But in verse 6, he was angry. He's ticked off. But he calms himself. And consulting with himself means he's praying, he's considering God's word, he's calming himself down before he acts because righteous anger does not exempt us from righteous actions. The Bible says in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say don't be angry. It says in your anger, do not sin. And so Nehemiah doesn't want to sin. And so he consults with himself. And it just reveals how dialed in he was with his God. He knew his God. He knew his word. He knew God's will for his people. And so he consults with himself and contends with a multitude. It says that he held a great assembly against them. It's me against you, my own people, a multitude of people, because he was dialed in with his God. May we all get to that place where we can content, where we can consult with ourselves and not fear the multitudes even from the inside because we're that dialed in like Nehemiah was. But make no mistake, it was the truth of God's Word that made that possible. He knew what he knew about God's Word, about God's will, and how people should be treating one another that he can say, I consulted with myself because you guys ain't got it figured out. And he, and he had assembly against all of them. It's just a powerful picture of a person really dialed in with his God. And as we bring this home, let's look at the example that Nehemiah was in verses 14 through 19. That Nehemiah says, I'm not just challenging you this way, I'm living this way myself. Moreover, verse 14 says, From the day that I was appointed governor for 12 years, neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance, because that would make it harder on his own people. Even though it was legal, it would not have been right. The former governors who were before me, they laid burdens on the people, and they took from them bread and wine. And even the servants domineered their people. But I did not do so <laughs> because of the fear of God. I also applied myself to the work on the wall. I just got to work, man, advancing the God, God's work and God's projects and God's name. We didn't buy any land. Even my servants were gathered there at the wall for the work. Moreover, they were at my table, and he lists all these people and all this food. And he says at the end of 18, Yet for all of this, I did not demand the governor's allowance because the servitude was heavy on the people. And then he closes out how I wished we could all close out our lives and our ministries and our days and our weeks and our years. Remember me, oh my God, for the good that I've done according to all the good that I have done for this people. We should all be able to make that proclamation. All of us. So these verses 14 through 19, they show Nehemiah as a great example and how to treat each other. 
He gave up what was rightfully his, his food allowance, the governor's food allowance. He gave up what was rightfully his to do right by others. It's rightfully his. He gave it up to do what was right by others. Verse 19 says, which we just read, where he says, Remember me, O my God, for the good that I've done. Remember me for the good that I've done. I wonder how you and I would finish the same declaration, the same way it's written in verse 19. Go ahead and put that on the screen. How would we finish verse 19 for our lives? Could we say right now to God, God, remember me, oh my God, for good, according to this and this and this and this, and to know that God would honor that declaration, He would honor that prayer. Could we do that? We should be able to do that, just like Nehemiah. Remember me, oh my God, for good. According to this, according to this, and according to this. Many of you, maybe all of you are doing that. Keep filling in the blank, please. But we must not miss the real reason that Nehemiah is a great example. He's not just a great example. He's not just doing that of discipline. There's a reason why he's a great example. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, the former governors didn't do it right. At the end, he says, verse 15, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. That's the reason he did good. It's because he had a fear of God. He reverenced God. He knew who God was. He knew that God had called him to something. How to live and how to treat one another. Now look at verse 9. Look at the difference. In verse 9, he says to the people, the thing which you are doing is not good. So Nehemiah is doing good because of a fear of God. In verse 9, they're not doing good. Why? Should you not walk in the fear of our God? Because they're not fearing God. Fear God, do good. Not fear God, not do good. That's the equation of Nehemiah chapter 5. I did good because I feared God. You were not doing good because you didn't have a fear of God. So I ask you, where are you at in that? If, if this is one end of the continuum, this reverence and this fear of God, and the other one is the rights for self, where are you at? Are you, are you on this continuum, the rights that I have for myself, or the reverence that I have for God, and that comes out in how I treat other people? If we don't have a proper reverence for God, everything just goes south. We're going we're gonna to keep tailing over into this end of the spectrum about my rights, about myself, instead of a reverence and a fear of our Lord that leads to the only kind of behavior that we should exhibit, which is godly behavior. Psalm 111 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to know how to live life? Fear God. And he says a good understanding have all of those who do His commandments. Our instruction, our understanding, our wisdom come from God's Word. Oswald Chambers says this. This is amazing. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. So I ask you, we're coming upon a new year, aren't we? We're in it. We're a couple days in. How will you, how will I fear the Lord in 2018 like we've never feared Him before? How will you increase the fear of the Lord in your life this year? If you need help, I'm here to help you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are here to help you. There's numerous ways that we can increase our fear of the Lord so that we can live better for Him and for one another. Amen? 
Proverbs 19.23, this is so beautiful, says this. The fear, we got Proverbs 19? It's out? Huh? I don't know what this means. I've never seen that before from the tech booths. I need an interpreter. He's speaking in not tongues, but whatever that would be. Is the system down? I can't hear a thing. It's gone. The slide's gone. All right, sorry. You know, it's funny. It doesn't seem like it's that far, but I can't hear a thing. Let me read to you Proverbs 19.23, and you can turn there later if you want. Proverbs 19.23 says this, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Some of us aren't living. The fear of the Lord leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied. Is that amazing? Are you satisfied when you go to bed? The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Oh, Proverbs 19.23. So may you and I be like Nehemiah. May we live exemplary lives in order to please God, in order to be at peace with ourselves and sleep satisfied at night and in order to provide for those that we love, those within our church family. Do we have the Thomas Merton slide? Oh, good. I thought the whole thing was down. Let's put that one up. He says this, to consider persons and events and situations only in the light of their effect upon myself is to live on the doorstep of hell. Ouch. Wow. Nehemiah did what Nehemiah did for one reason and one reason only. He lived to please the Lord. Nehemiah lived to please the Lord. And it'd be interesting if we were able to keep track of our lives for maybe just a week, some kind of a monitor for a week or a month, to assess each day for a week or each day for a month who we're trying to please. It would be interesting to monitor our lives every day for a week or even a month and to find out who, who was I trying to please there? Who was I trying to please there? And who was I trying to please there? If we don't have a proper fear of God, we're not going to please Him. We're going to please ourselves and other people. Nehemiah lived to lighten the load of other people. Sounds an awful lot like Jesus Christ, doesn't it? I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to close in a a worship song. Chris, if you want to work your way up here. Um, So I'm going to pray us out, and when we're done worshiping, our prayer team will be down here, as always, every weekend. Our prayer team is available over here on my left. If you need prayer for anything, please, please go to God. He loves you so much. Go pray with our prayer team. When I'm done praying, I'm going I'm to give you a real quick announcement. Um, so let's pray first. Almighty God, we thank you for Nehemiah chapter 5. Lord, we pray that in 2018 we have a, a more intense fear of you, our Almighty God. We want to live better for you, Lord. We want to live better internally. Lord, may the, may the attacks never come from within inside the church, Lord. Help us in that regard. Forgive us, Lord, when we fail. Forgive us when we get it wrong. May we be forgiving to those that wrong us within your church. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.